Welcome to the e-commerce made simple podcast. I'm Jérôme Degnier, your host. And today we're going to talk about one of the topics, which is can be one of the funniest one and one of the tr most tragic one. It's translations in e-commerce. So obviously selling in the US is pretty simple. Now, when you, once you sell in, in Europe, you'll have to talk to in the five, six, seven languages right now on Amazon. And that can be a, a big issue. Obviously, British people like you, Joel, don't have, you know, they probably think that uh, English is okay or that you could go around with English, but actually it's not, it's not true. What, Jerome, je parle français, uh, un peu, mais j'essaye. Eh? I can speak French a little, but I try, you see? Yes. And if you were to sell, thank you very much, Joel. So if you were to sell to a French customer, do you think he would be like um, convinced? No. Okay. Oh, I've seen loads of really in my other world when I worked in television, I've seen loads of things like this. And there was one, and it's along similar lines actually, but it was a huge American television network. And you can take your pick because there's only four, but they were expanded into Africa but all their advertising was just white faces, white faces, white faces. And it's a similar sort of thing, I think. Or when you hear about a brand name that just means you think it means something exotic in English or French or whatever, but, you know, when it goes to Russia or somewhere else, then it suddenly becomes the most obscene word in the world. So I do kind of like this sort of thing. Yeah, and that's why I was saying it's, it's very funny. And even... Amazon going into Sweden, even them, you know, when the, even the flag of Sweden, I think they, they put the wrong flag at the beginning uh, for sellers. And you didn't see the flag of Sweden, but of, of, of Mexico or of a <laughs> totally different country. It's like a lot of people were, you know, um, not super happy. And even they did a lot of auto translation into Swedish and horrible things would. <laughs> the person I'm, Uh, I'm hosting today Jana Krikic from YLT at Translation. Is she? I think she speaks more languages than reasonable, reasonable, and it's uh, she's she's amazing. And they they help a lot of brands um, do the proper translation and the proper SEO research to do great content. And uh, she will get into local content and also how to you know find the right partner. I hope so, you've got some stories about companies getting things horribly wrong in this podcast, Jerome. I shall look forward to that. We do. We do. So Please. stay tuned. Enjoy the show, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Yana, such a pleasure to have you uh, on, on this show. Let's have the American style. Um, we know each other for a long time. We've been working together for a long time. And it's a great pleasure to have actually a lot of friends on uh, inviting friends and having a, a chat um, around the, the fire or campfire kind of chat. So we typically start with uh, an introduction in, in two parts. And the first part is uh, like, we like to have a bit of fun. So we always, I always ask like, what's a fun fact about yourself? Yeah. Um. Okay, well, I don't know if this is a fun fact, but uh, I play piano for almost 20 years um, and I speak five languages. <laughs> I used to run half, half marathons. Um, that was before. <laughs> that was before. <laughs> that was my previous life. Yeah. 
Okay, so multi-talented. So um, what, now second step is what, who, who are you? And give us a, a brief about YLT and why YLT is so special. Yeah, well, first of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me to your webinar. I've seen you uh, done a lot of uh, episodes with a lot of great people. I think you're doing a fabulous job and I'm really honored to be here today. Uh, and uh, a little bit about myself. So uh, my name is Jana and I'm the owner of YLT Translations. We are the leading Amazon dedicated translation agency right now. And we have a team of 43 uh, native speakers and other team members who we would not be where we are today. Yeah. So I would like to thank each and one of them for, you know, uh, being incorporated with what we do every day. And uh, what would you say, because uh, like we work together and we know you, you do a great job, but uh, what would you say makes you so different or better than other agencies, for example, or translation agencies? Right. So something which we are very, very special, which makes us more special than others is that our translators, they actually know everything about Amazon. They know the algorithm. They know the length of the titles and bullets in various categories, and they know what it takes to make a good sales copy in different languages. And that's quite important because everybody can translate like, you know, from the target to the source, from the source to the target language. And that's fine, but how do you actually make that sales copy show up for that potential buyer of yours? So we, we our translators are, we have like our internal uh, training that every translator has to go through. And uh, we teach translators how to do Helium 10 research, um, how to put uh, keywords. We have some strategies that we apply. We work with different Excel formulas that help us find some Golden nugget keywords that your competitors are probably not ranked for on page one. So they, we really have like a full um, Amazon listing expert on board and our team and just regular translators. Of course, it's important to have a native translator, but what good it is if you find somebody from Fiverr where you have amazing translators, but they don't know anything about Amazon. They don't have any keyword placement strategy. They would just translate whatever you give them. And the most important thing is what I like to emphasize is we know a lot about localization. And sometimes um, that's even more important than the translation itself. And that is knowing the target, knowing the audience and knowing how to adjust certain style for a different marketplace. And uh, that's very, very crucial when wanting to bond with a potential buyer. Mm. And from your 43 uh, like employees, should I say, or, or yeah. workers, how like which is the biggest part? Is it German? Uh, would it yeah. be English? Germany? Yeah, Germany is definitely the biggest, and it's followed by France. Okay. Um, earlier, there was much bigger difference between Germany and France. Like the German market was absolutely the biggest one out there. Uh, but now France, we've, we've, we've got like pretty, uh, almost equal amount of inquiries for France as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, usually our clients are uh, US and UK based. So uh, we also do the UK and US like uh, translations and copywriting, but like our um, primer services are from English listings to other languages. Yeah. Uh, so I would say definitely Germany, number one, then uh, France, then we get a lot of Mexico. Um, and okay. then every now and then we get Japanese. The Netherlands has been quite fantastic. Like ever since like October, 
last year, like we've received inquiries. And at that point, I was just talking to one Dutch seller, actually, I was in China. And we were just talking about like the Dutch marketplace and what's going to happen if Amazon expands over there. And we were talking about Bol, uh, the Dutch marketplace. And he was just telling me like, and he's an eight figure seller. So he knows his stuff. And he was like, well, you know, Yana, like I think Bol is like very dominant. And I don't know how much people would be interested in selling it uh, on Amazon. It's kind of a local marketplace and it's going very well. But then like all of a sudden, like we get so many inquiries about the Dutch marketplace. And a lot of people want to sell there. And I just think that it's, um, it's very um, interesting for people to be the first one of, as a seller on a new marketplace. Even though, as you know, you know PPC hasn't still rolled out and uh, it's been you know, scheduled uh, for later this year before uh, BC. Uh, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that. And uh, also we have some inquiries uh, for, for uh, Poland and for, for the Czech uh, marketplace. Uh, that was also scheduled for later this year, the Polish one for sure. But I think also that was also pushed um, pushed uh, back to 2021 so, or God knows So when. do you have insights in the fact that the, uh, there will be a Polish uh, yeah. AMS.pl and yeah, the Czech it one? Will, it will be. Yeah, the Polish one, I am like 90% have the insight on that for sure that it's going to happen. I just don't know when. Uh, it was expected to be rolled out this year, but... Uh, Okay, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Damn. COVID. And, you know, like, it's interesting because, like, whenever you would register for VAT for Pan European, you would always have to uh, register for Poland, Poland and yeah. Czech. And that's why I think they're kind of finally um, rolling out these marketplaces as well. And a lot of people have been, this is just like, a, you know, uh, it's a, just talking about that, like, about Denmark and Sweden, because people have. Yeah, seen I heard about Sweden a lot. Yeah. But. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's, uh, we, we could, uh, you know, expect anything this year, definitely. I mean, you know, Prime Day is also, you know, pushed back to October and uh, with all the new regulations, Amazon and restrictions about, you know, Q3 and Q4 product launch. I don't know what else could be, you know, new uh, and fresh for all the, mm. all the sellers. But this is definitely what, something which I've, I've been talking a lot with different people also like uh some information from amazon's webinars as well i've heard so you know this was something that was expected and i would really really want to see what will happen once they enroll the ppc for the dutch marketplace because like we, we really literally had like sellers translate their whole inventory i'm talking about like 70 80 aces just like rolling out and you know, you don't have any keywords for the Dutch marketplace and whoever tells you like you do have the, you know, Dutch marketplace, you don't. The only tool I've seen, because I've been like looking for it everywhere, is called Seller Sprite. But that's, mm. a, that's a Chinese tool, Chinese sellers use it, but I haven't had any like really good results, honestly. I, I, but it's I, probably we, too young to have that because they need to have more data and more researchers to probably uh, give the the right uh, keywords. One question is, why do you think, why do you believe France uh, would be the second, why do you, why do you have, you get so many demands from France? Because I'm surprised because French Amazon is quite, it's much, much smaller it than UK or Germany. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I, I, I don't really, I don't really have an answer to that. Like we don't get like, for instance, people would always do like Germany and France and skip Spain and Italy. And I mean, Italy is like, the smallest one so you would never get like rarely you would get like Italian only maybe because this is like an Italian seller or 
somebody who's absolutely sure that has the, the right product for that marketplace. But like, we usually get like a Germany and like, and they always say like, oh, and if you can also get the French one as well. So, and rarely we will get the combinations um, Germany and Spain or Germany and something else. But if it is, it's going to be Germany, UK and France, like definitely uh, in Europe. Yeah, because and, it's probably the size yeah. of the market, like France, yeah, French I think, market. I, yeah, I think they say like, okay, well, you know, France is not the biggest one out there, but I want to do something else. I think that when people register for pan-European uh, program and, you know, it costs a lot of money, all the VATs and stuff. And I think the one of the reasons might be like, hey, I've registered for this. Like, why, why not France? Like, it's not as small as Italy and Spain, but I'll just give it a go, you know? I just think that people just want to try it out. Mm, yeah, well, makes sense. So let's, Might be, yeah. first, first learning of, of, of today, and I, that's new to me, so great. Um, thank you for coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, Amazon Poland is coming soon and probably Czech Republic. Scandinavia probably as a second step, so that's very interesting. And okay, I'm not sure that's an insight for anyone specifically, but that like there's a lot of demands for France. Uh, it's I think probably people have, a lot of people have been uh, covering uh, UK and and Germany and then starting to roll out in the rest of the country. So it makes sense. Now I have a question for you: Is um, like localization is a big topic? How would you approach it? And you know what are your general tips about localization and trying to uh, reach out to the French customer, to the German customer. The, what what are your general tips on that and making sure you do, is there a different approach in talking to different customers or are your translators trying to have this native touch of how to talk to customers? What's your insight on that? Yeah, well, first of all, what is a very big mistake and what I think that the, the, the service providers and we, of course, did at the beginning is that you don't get enough of the information from the client, from the seller, what they want, because localization and the product itself, it really determines like, you know, the, 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 the grade of that localization. Because if you're selling kids' toys and if you're selling a travel mug on the German marketplace from the UK or the US market, it's going to have a different approach and different style. You know how everybody says, says and it's also what I, uh, of course, uh, agree with, that, you know, Germany is all about, like, being straightforward, very strict, like, tell me the features, don't go, like, all emotional bullets and stuff like that. Um, I just think Some that Some would when you're say selling, bullshit. But yeah, we, bullshit. We, yeah, don't try to push me into buying the product and, like, you know, just forcing me into it. You know, German, German, German people, like, they, they don't like that. And also, like, one of the very um, important things is that the German marketplaces from all of the other world, worldwide marketplaces is the marketplace that gives out the most refunds. So if, you know, if the clients, if, if the buyers, they don't like something what they read or maybe they kind of understood this, like, differently and they get something different, they, they will return this, you know, have to refund them. So that's a fun fact about the German marketplace. And that's why you should be very careful with how you present your uh, product and how you talk to your, um, your audience. Yeah. yeah, and claims and stuff like that. So um, if you're selling like a kid's toy, of course, you have to have a little bit of that emotionality in your bullets, but it has to be like with a very, very, um, you have to be very um, careful with how you present that. But like if you're selling a travel mug, you can go like, pull in with the, only the features, materials, like why is this a good product and how does it solve your problem? This is everything that you should have in your bullets. But you cannot have the absolutely the same approach with the toys for kids 
and a travel mug or um, remote controller or anything else which might be a more uh, tech gear or something like that. But uh, definitely like if you would take a US style, which is like super salesly, pushing people into buying products and present it on the general marketplace, people would not like that. And they'll be like, uh, something is weird here. It doesn't sound right. What is this? Google Translate. Even though if it's, if it's not Google Translate, it does not uh, grasp the moment of the audience. Like what does the audience want? And I just think that's super, super important. And I think if you fail to do that, you have failed to get um, maximized number of potential buyers on that marketplace. And we've, we've been also doing some um, uh, translations for uh, Payoneer, the payment service provider. And they came up with a, um, you know, like a English, UK English, which says like uh, humble, cust uh, humility goes with our customer service or something like that. And there was an absolute uh, faux pas to be translated to the German marketplace because like humility and humble does not go well with like presenting a professional uh, customer service. So we kind of had to change it to respect and, you know, to kind of sound it more of a, without that kind of that emotional tone and that, um, that style, which doesn't really go well with the, the, the German marketplace. And I think from all of the European marketplaces, Germany is the most strict one. And it has like really like the most, uh, you have like checklists for the German marketplace. Whereas I would say that France, Spain, and Italy, they're not that strict, but none of those marketplaces want that salesly approach and like emotional engaging of the audience. It's quite different than um, the States and the UK um, to say at least. And especially if you're a German seller, you would definitely have to adjust that to other European marketplaces. You cannot just kind of translate that uh, German straightforwardness being super strict and how this, how this product solved my problem for all other European marketplaces. And an interesting thing uh, for the Dutch marketplace is that, I mean, you know, like how the Netherlands are like a very liberal country starting with the drugs and like um, LGBT, like marriages and everything, you know? And so like, I've been told like, because I've been talking to, uh, to my team to see like what we should focus on or not. And then all of the translators told me that uh, if you have a kid's toy, let's say it's a pink teddy bear, it's really not okay to write that this is um, a toy for boys or toy for girls. It should be to toy for toddlers. So they don't like the keywords or the, 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 and, the keywords uh, are not that yeah. in such a high demand that are gender different and anything which is like for mom or dad, but for parents. So this is what they, what they really, um, want and it's really interesting because we, we checked keyword planner after that and these keywords really have higher search volume than like some of the keywords which are gender related or mom dad and stuff like that so i mean that's kind of you know you would not think of that but that's actually true that's really interesting especially for some specific products which are yeah. gender related and yeah. one question for that is like for a translator say you have the text in english and you want to translate it to german or to and like you come from a text in english or american english which is very salesy let's say yeah uh, how so your translator has to change quite a lot of that right so it's 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 far away from only translating is also yeah going back to facts if you're really talking to a, more of a german audience or going a bit to give some emotions but taking out the salesy pitch for the south of europe is that so how do you handle that of like 
rewriting a bit as much as, right. as translating. Yeah, well, as I said, first of all, like you have to tell the client what you're going to do because a lot of clients just go to Google Translate as a quality check control and they're like, what is this? This is not my text I gave you, blah, blah. So you really have to assure the seller that you, what are you going to do? And some of the sellers will say like, no, I don't want you to change anything. I put my heart and body in this and like I want it like done this way. And that's fine. But if you ask me, I just think it's uh it's it you, you definitely you have to keep like all the important details all the important features of the product but you can rewrite the style a little bit you know like a german language has like these long compound words you can express like a sentence with a with one compound word but like you know italian and like spanish like they have different style of language and expressing themselves and, oops. yeah <laughs> and that's, i just can you hear me that's yeah and I just think, um, uh, where was I? Yeah, and I, I just think that um, rewriting is very interesting for translators. I'm a translator myself. And I just think that by giving uh, creativity and liberty to uh, translators is something that they're going to be thankful for. And they will love doing that even more. Because, you know, like we translators are like so done with like, you know, translate everything word by word um contracts uh books everything and this gives you sort of uh, you know a certain degree of creativity not all translators have that but you know you can always test the translator like what my suggestion is like to whoever wants to hire any translator in this world is just like to give a test and tell them like look you can be a little bit creative you can rewrite sentences if that sounds better in your language and just like you know test them and then you know, a lot of people have friends and relatives and whatever, and just give them to read this. Just don't tell them it's a translation. Just tell them like, hey, this is a text we've been, we've been writing and just ask them, you know, does it sound good in French or Italian or any other language? And I just think that's very, very important. That doesn't mean that every single listing should be rewritten completely. Sometimes it's absolutely fine to translate it as it is because it grasps, it grasps the, the um, the spirit of the target marketplace but in a lot of cases it would need some adjustments definitely especially when inserting keywords that that as well um keywords would probably not be the same in, on every marketplace separately you would have to do the keyword research separate, separately for each marketplace and by just by inserting these keywords you are uh rewriting the text because the keyword is not going to be placed in the same part of the sentence probably on all languages um of course the title is completely different because it's that there's no context and this is just like use it for keywords but when talking about bullets or product description probably going to rewrite um also on the basis of the keywords that are being inserted and that leads me to the question about seo and i know uh like seo is a, is a great topic because people like to like people have strong opinions about seo and uh, there's always a fight for me between like adding keywords and um uh let's say having meaningful content like if you have the like if you have the 70 or like the 80 characters to be uh in in mobile search for example right uh, and so on and you say okay like I have the choice between a meaningful uh, word and a keyword, which is less meaningful. How's your approach with that? Like, I know what, what I attempt to say, but as translators, what would you, what would they work on? 
I would definitely, and how, how we train the translators is that uh, the keywords are number one. Uh, you can have as many meaningful words as you want, but nobody's going to find that product. Ideally, you would have both. You would have both keywords and beautifully written listing. But if you really want to try it out, maybe like A-B test it, I would always say that the keywords are number one and then beautifully li written listing is number two. Of course, you should not have like a random like a BS in your bullets, but you should definitely focus on the most important keywords. If you don't want to uh, butcher your bullets, if you think they're fantastic, just maximize on the keywords in your, in your uh, title because you can put like three to five keywords depending on the product category. I'm talking about like 199 characters. You can put like keywords over there. But when talking about listings in general, I would always say that you should use the highest search volumes in your listing, not of course um, overstuffing or anything like it. But I just think that you have to have at least nine or 10 keywords in your uh, title and bullets if this category allows that, not talking about food category or anything, which is like super simple, usually also without any keywords. Great, thank you. I, I, I like to ask a question. What do you think? The, yeah, I, uh, I'm a bit different, but it's also we, because we, we help only brands. We don't have like, we don't have resellers, like 95% of the people we work with are brands and brands would be very conscious about how they write. So they would tend to say that they prefer like have meaning over SEO and like, for me, the SEO uh, content is sometimes the way you will uh, rank organically is also thanks to advertising. So if you don't have that keyword or you don't have it in, in the first place, you could have it in the back end or something like that. And yeah, I'm I mean, not... def definitely backends are, you know, way to go if you want to put it over there. But according from my experience, like we've been doing this for almost two years now, like uh, we were first not that much focused on keywords. And then when we start focusing more on keywords, I mean, we're trying always to focus, like to have like a really, you know, to, to send the same message that the client had in one language to another. But we also like uh, put some better keywords, better keyword strategy. And a lot of like really, really great sales happen with a lot of different clients. And uh, I don't know, I would just like put the, the keywords and you know what I think, like when you have an A plus content, it really doesn't matter. Like you can put the product description in backend with tons of keywords, but that A plus brand uh, content is gonna present your brand and who you are and all that story uh, telling is gonna be in A plus, not in your bullets. I think that bullets are there just to visually to show the, the, the buyer what your product is capable for. Like, you know, with the big uh, caps and like starting with the bullets. And then when they scroll down, they can go to the A plus where they can find out about your brand. Like you can send the message and all the branding that the, the clients want. This is just, you know, my um, mm. opinion. Yeah. And great. And one question is, do you sometimes look at, do you have KPIs in looking in how you performed? Like, do you sometimes have this work of, afterwards looking at after you did your work what if it like helped in, in overall uh, performance and if yes what kind of kpi do you use to to check your your you did a good job all that yeah well um, um, unfortunately we don't go into anybody's seller account like we don't upload we create flat files but we don't go into anybody's uh, mm -hmm. uh, seller account we used to do that two years ago but that turned out to be not a good idea because it was like blame it on the translation agency so i was just like no 
we're not PPC. We don't have to go into anybody's account. So we stopped doing that. But what we do, we follow up with a lot of clients. We ask them like, you know, the performance, we ask them to, uh, to share the numbers. Like if something has increased or decreased, um, if they're not having a good result, we offer revision, you know, like we always try to see what's working, what's not. And considering we do around like 1000 listings every month, um uh, it's been you know like we've, we've got pretty good uh, data from the clients who wanted to share uh numbers and uh usually you know like um i mean it, it is what it is i mean people who who have good results want to share and people who don't have good results you won't even hear from them so you know but uh, mm -hmm. we have a lot of them who've had um a good success i have some like really crazy um, numbers on our case studies uh, I've recently got, like I can also uh, maybe share them here. I don't know if that's- Yeah, well, and no, for me, it's like yeah. success is interesting and I know you're working great, so I'm not surprised you would, uh, uh, you would uh, get those uh, success. My, I think it's most interesting uh, if, uh, like when it's not working, like, Right. What's your process when a content is not like they're not selling, there's no conversion? What's your, how do you approach it? Do you have a, a way or is it like it's a bit random or what's your process? No, it really, it really depends because um, sometimes it's not just about SEO. Sometimes you have a shitty product, you know, and it's not going to work. Or maybe your pictures are, are bad or maybe your A plus content, like your template is shitty, you know. So it really depends. Like what we do is like what we, we double check, you know, we double check the keywords. We get this again to a third proofreader to absolutely be sure that we done, done the job, right? And if it still doesn't work, we offer to do a revision, maybe a little bit of rewriting, maybe, um, you know, we change some keywords. Of course, it's very important that people don't change everything immediately. You should just change like one variable at a time. So mm -hmm. you can do like a A-B testing with a title only, with the bullets, with the description, you know, like you should never change the whole uh, listing completely. Then we check, you know, like what uh, what keywords you're indexed for, you know, like this is what the, the routine, like the KPIs is like, you know, that we double check, it, are you indexed for our keywords that we did here? If you are indexed and if everything is okay, then probably maybe your PPC campaigns are running low or something like that. But we usually double check everything if something could be improved um, in SEO um, terms. And if not, then there's so many other ways that could <laughs> potentially no. harm your listing. And that's really ungrateful and you can never be 100% sure, you know, but I guess you have to just, you know, like SEO or PPC or pictures, it's like all like pieces of a bigger puzzle. So you kind of have to have everything uh, done in order, in order to, you know, just know that everything is working. So. And yeah, and what, it's like one of the questions that I sometimes uh, we have to address and it's, it's going one step above. So I don't, it's like, are they addressing in the right way they key customers or they, they target customers? So we did talk about yeah. the cultural thing. So right. it's like, do you have sometimes this thing where you say, okay, you're not addressing your right customer or in the right way? Do you have? Yeah. Well, this is also what we have to, um, I was jumping on, on a call with a client or my, my project manager does. And we, add, because we don't do the, 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 the audience research. Like we don't, know exactly who's your target audience. This is one of the things that seller have to know, like who are you selling your product to? Are those teenagers or are um, uh, business people or seniors? Like, and this is also what really affects the language that you're using as well. 
So, you know, maybe if you're focused on selling uh, t-shirts with like Mr. and Mrs. and you're focusing maybe, I don't know, seniors, maybe that's not the right choice for you because that's exactly the situation we had. And, but the, 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 the client was selling something like this and just all the, 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 the whole German team was like, this is not a product that I would buy. Like I would never buy something like this. And people were just like, this is not a good market for this product, you know, and mm, this okay. is just what it was. Uh, then, it was nothing there's nothing you that. can, nothing you can do in that case. Yeah. Like. Sometimes it's like really, uh, I mean, you can do as much, you know, but the, if you don't have a good fit for your product for the marketplace, uh, it's just not uh, going to work that well, unfortunately. Mm. And, um, one question also is like between uh, all the all the countries, uh, do you have um, like funny examples of, of differences? So you said already like Germans are really fact oriented, like uh, South of Europe is probably more emotional, but not very salesy or not yeah. reacting back well to salesy. Do you have any like fun facts in terms of uh, differences between the countries or or things which are you can do or you cannot do or yeah like i i don't uh i don't think that there are that big differences between spain and italy um and france in, in terms of like how this is like this is it this is something that doesn't work i've talked to so many different people i saw you had something uh presentation on this topic and i, I skimmed through it and i couldn't remember what i what i what i read because i don't think that there are like that specific um, differences when comparing with the german marketplace like what i can tell you is like that there is absolutely big difference between germany and the rest of them and probably dutch marketplace because it's similar mentality up north but uh, as far as like France, Spain, and Italy, I would not say that there are so many big differences. I, I don't know if you, if you can probably add something to this. Well, it's certain that uh, the way uh, you uh, put data uh, and let data, you, you, you need to uh, have claims and the way you give facts in Germany is, and there will be more technical than, than the other countries. And selling binoculars for example you would uh, look at really technically the details of the exact number of the light transmission and things like that whereas in thousand country would be more about the design on how it feels and so more things which are less um, tangible let's say in terms mm -hmm. of uh, that would that was the type of example we had with with several brands um Right. And do, do you have like when when you talk that to brands, how receptive that they are of, of changing their content or like evolving their content to different countries? Like generally, they're all OK or no, it... not really. Unfortunately, not. And you have to talk their way. You have to talk your way through that. A lot of people, they just kind of see translations and just like being one text taken and translated to another language with no difference in nothing. They would even translate the keywords as they are. A lot of people don't understand that, unfortunately, and you just have to kind of win or lose that battle with a client and then be like, okay, like, but this is not what I would suggest, but it's your brand and you can decide. And a lot of people don't actually see how big potential uh, the, the correctly done translation localization with right keywords has. Um, if you if you're already selling on a foreign marketplace and you haven't as optimized your listing, just imagine how much more you could do once you've done that. 
Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. And maybe if, if the audience has some questions, they can start to, to ask a question and, uh, to, to my next one, which is usually quite funny is like, do you have example of brands which have completely failed their localization? Uh, yeah, I have a, I have a really cool example with, uh, for instance, like everybody knows Kim Kardashian, right? So Kim Kardashian, she was about to launch her shapewear and she decided to call her shapewear uh, kimono. And then the Japanese government got, it was uh, targeted for the Asian marketplace. And the Japanese government got super upset and they sent her like an angry letter saying like, oh no, you didn't. And it was just like literally like in the nick of time before she launched that. And she had to change this. I mean, this is a disaster which was avoided. Uh, so she had to change it to skims, which is cold today. And uh, we discussed earlier, you know, like in the uh, car industry, like a lot of different uh, mistakes. I know one uh, for the Portuguese marketplace. It's a Hyundai uh, Kona. Kona is a Hawaiian island, but Kona means uh, cunt in Portuguese. And so nobody wanted to drive, you know, that sort of car. And they completely failed. They had to rename the model. They, they just picked another Hawaiian island. It's called uh, um, Kauai now. And this is what people drive in Portugal. And that's absolutely horrible. And, you know, Dolce Gabbana with completely wrong video promotional showing Asian person eating pizza with chopsticks. This was I supposed to be their one, big yeah. breakthrough. Yeah, this was just like, they lost like billions, you know, and they, they, they didn't even apologize for that. <laughs> and did, did you have uh, examples on, in, in, um, uh, in, on Amazon specifically or like customers uh, of yours which would have had um, like a localization where they, they really messed up or before you, you have them or examples on Amazon or and how you can sort of get out of that trap of, of there, there was one uh, there was a client he was selling uh, shampoo or some sort of beauty product uh, he was a UK seller and then he wanted to launch in Germany I mean he launched already and his product got banned uh, because he didn't check that ingredients in Germany there were prescription drugs and they, they were completely banned. So he was not allowed to say anything like that. But uh, I have like different like examples I've seen on Amazon, you know, like people messing up with, uh, you know, localization, trying to be funny, which is not funny. You know, like there was an example of like an Italian listing. Um, it says like a bikini for, for fat women. It says like fat, but they wanted to be like, Right, they wanted to write like not the plus size, but they wanted to go to chubby, sort of, you know, they, because like the whole like, thing was kind of, yeah. yeah, but the whole thing was kind of trying trying to be funny, but then like they used the word fat, you know, and that was kind of really, you know, not good choice of words, and you know there was like uh, a lot of different things, you know, how people mix English with like different words, they don't know what like that English word maybe means in French, like. There was like a um, toy for dogs, like the chewing dog, chew, chewing toy. And then it said like F-A-R-T, fat do something. And then, you know, like you didn't know it was English or French. And it means like the fart toy. This is how you would read it because the first part goes in English and the second part goes in French. And like, you don't know how their, you know, like what, what their focus was on. So, I mean, a lot of people don't even pay attention to not even translation is not at all localization, you know, like they don't know what the target marketplace um, offers them or what is allowed, what's not allowed. They just don't care. 
Mm, yeah. So we've got some reaction to the word chubby. Uh, some people are not living well with that name um, or uh, noun, but that's okay. Um, one, I had one question specifically on nutrients. Uh, and like, uh, I know from the law, um, or like, um, things which are like health products that yeah. law in different countries are, is different. Like I know, for example, in Germany, you need to put first, uh, the, um, uh, what is the most important, uh, ingredient, like the ingredient with the most effect on your, on you. Like, whereas in France, for example, you need to put the first one, the first uh, ingredient with the most quantity. Like if it's sugar, you would have put sugar and then the, the second important thing. Do you, when you do translation, do you handle that? Or do you, do you have to go into understanding what the regulation is? Or is that like your customers come with uh, their rules and regulations? No, we really have to talk to, with the client uh, about that because there are so many different uh, uh, supplements like every day and then rules change all the time. And of course we know about like the non-toxic antibacterial, like, you know, like a lot of, especially now during uh, COVID, I've had to say no to some of the supplements because um, we've heard that a lot of them got banned because they got super, super, super strict because of COVID. Uh, even one of the beauty products that we've done uh, says something about um, when you're taking a bath that it takes away you feeling uncomfortable down there. And they flag that as like a medical condition. So it's really, really tricky, but we usually ask the client to give us all possible information they have. Uh, because like supplements also go into different categories and you cannot be 100% sure for all of the supplements. Of course, if, we, if we've done, um, if we've done, I don't know, like a C vitamin, like thousand times, there are also rules that apply uh, C vitamin, but there are like so many supplements, especially nowadays for the whole, uh, this pandemic that, you know, pop up if you've never heard about and they are not sure what rule should apply to that. So usually like the clients uh, come up with uh, important information because we really don't want to dig up on something and then, you know, just fail miserably uh, for the new sort of products. So it really yeah, depends. So yeah, you would rely on the customer. Uh, yeah. And like my feeling that customers from especially the USA, they, they feel uh, they, they misunderstand uh, or like they have to, get there's a lot of work from them too oh yeah that's uh, a lot of work for them yeah because yeah. they're just like do it and they're like and by the way register me for vat while they were doing that so they're just gonna really you know they're kind of a little bit they they just don't want to deal with those things it's like a hassle for them but uh when when working with the european sellers is completely different because you know it's like they're uh it's their their domestic field so it's not that mm. big of a problem but the u.s uh supplements are could be really tricky to kind of adjust everything for the european marketplace okay i have a question here selling in canada and starting to sell in spain would you create a new listing from scratch and do a whole keyword research or use the english listing as a starting point well, I think that Canada, you can definitely use an English for the starting point. Of course, a lot of people do French. Uh, yeah, I think he's moving from Canada to Spain. So it would oh, be okay. from the English to the Spanish. Oh, okay, okay, to Spain, okay. Well, I mean, 
I would do the Spanish one. Like, I don't think the Spanish uh, people do use a lot of English, honestly. But if you want to something as like to just start selling over there, uh, I don't know what the product is. You know, like maybe if it's something which is quite popular that people are used to like typing and searching for in English, then it's fine. But maybe if it's something which is more specific and needs to be a little bit, you know, like translated localized, I wouldn't think it's a good idea because once you enter the Spanish marketplace, if you have that, you know, uh, famous uh, honeymoon period and you're just going to blow it by being there and indexing for English keywords. So yeah. my suggestion is to do a little bit of the competitor search on the Spanish marketplace, see what they're doing. If English keywords are acceptable and probably a lot of them are using English keywords, then go for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it's a good idea. Yeah. So two things on that is one, you would uh, use, you would check English keywords in every marketplaces. Do you do, you do that also? Checking yeah, we like... do that as well. Yeah, because sometimes even though maybe it sounds weird to put it in listing and front end, but as we discussed, like you can always back put end. it in back end. Definitely. Okay. Uh, I think, really be, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think the question was more about, we should translate it into Spanish, but do you think it's better to start from the English, uh, like the English oh. content and translate it or start from scratch, like talk to uh, copy, like not doing translation oh, okay. and doing a Spanish copywriting? What's your guess on that? Well, I think that every um, every text can be rewritten, honestly. And I just think that if you have enough of, if your English listing is good and has all the crucial information, I think you can take the best out of it and put it on Spanish marketplace. I definitely think it needs some little bit of a rewriting, definitely. But uh, I don't think you need to write something completely from scratch. I think that the listing you already have, if, if it's a good listing, then you can take all the important key information from there and just adjust them a little bit. So I would call that also translation, not copywriting. And because generally copywriting will be more expensive than translation, right? It will be twice more expensive. So if you want to stay, save some money, I would say the translations, but you just have to explain to a person who's going to do that, that you need rewriting and adjusting a little bit, blah, blah, but it's still going to be translation. Great. Thanks for the insight. So I think we're coming slowly to the end. So if anybody else got uh, a question, uh, you're welcome. So and to reach out to you, so the website is ylt-translations.com, right? Dot com. Yeah. Exactly. And um, uh, that's the best way to reach out to you. You're on Facebook, also LinkedIn, yeah, every you... possible social media. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you should like our uh, Facebook page, YLT Translations, because we, um, I've just started recording some video tips and we have a uh, fun facts Thursday uh, and everything is about international marketplaces and localization and stuff like that. And I think we get, uh, we, we give some pretty useful um, info for sellers. So uh, like our page, uh, if you guys need any other advice or maybe you have any questions or if you want a free listing analysis, we'll be happy to help you. You can just uh, uh, send us an email at info at wildt-translation.com and we would be happy to help you. Great. I have another question before mm -hmm. you leave us. By rule of thumb, is there a sweet spot of how much text we should include across our listings? Titles, bullet points, product description. I've seen some listings that fill up the entire allotment and Amazon gives, but looks like a lot of text. 
or is this worse it considering it gives you more opportunity to include further details so that's already a long question okay so, so uh from from what i know a lot of sellers think it's it hasn't been confirmed for 100 percent, but a lot of people say that first thousand characters get indexed and this is what a lot of people like to believe in and they put in their listings a lot of people have a b tested this but nobody has 100 percent you know uh prove this also so like you say you a thousand characters in total when you take titles bullet title points, bullets and product description is yeah. a thousand characters which we assume is only taken account of for seo yes for seo exactly so like uh and my overall advice is like never to write a novel in your bullets i know a lot of people want to maximize on that 499 characters but i really don't think that's necessary i just think it's better to have like a visually clean and nicely looking bullet with like caps at the beginning where you put like the you know a feature you want to emphasize in that bullet the right like maybe two two and a half sentences so you get like two three lines possibly and then just like have like the five bullets and then you can go on and on about it in your a plus content if you don't have an a plus content you just do it in your description but i would focus on the best keywords definitely in the title and the bullets because that's what shows up also on the mobile app the description comes before the bullets so just put something also which is good at top of your product description in case that your bullets maybe go to like 700 characters and you have like 300 characters more and i would also suggest like even if you have like the a plus content you should always have some good keywords in your product description in back end so what i would suggest is that if you want to try like that you should also you know uh, a b tested and see like how well the thousand characters would work for you but i would definitely suggest not maximizing on anything in the bullets i think that's just too much text honestly a lot of sellers really want to do it. As I said, they're like, no, I want it as it is. But my experience is that it works better when it's a little bit shorter. I'm sure you can say everything in those three lines per bullet. Shorter is better. I, I totally yeah. agree. And the interesting thing you were saying is that, especially for uh, when you're doing A plus pages or EBC, is that if you have a long description or product description, you're juggling again. Uh, the product description gets hidden by A plus pages, but it still gets indexed. Yes, so you're right. yes, definitely. That definitely, yeah. And we still have some, uh, we just um, recently had some sellers that just wanted to get only keywords in product description, like only that. I've, I haven't seen that lately, uh, ever since I stopped seeing like all these like keyword stuffing and listings, but obviously people still think that that would work. So we'll see what happens with that client. Mm, yeah, I haven't. So keep the answer earbud for a second. I've got another question. Um, okay. Any other go-to tools or softwares besides Helium 10 for keyword research? We like to use the AMZ Suggestion Expander. That's a really cool, it's an add-on for Chrome uh, and it's free. And what's really cool with that is that, for instance, let's say you're launching a product and you're first with this product on on the new marketplace and Helium 10, Sonar, um, all Zon tools, like all these tools, they, they extract the information from your competitors and you don't have competitors here. So you're not going to get any good data. Uh, or if you have few competitors only, but this tool kind of suggests the keywords, like let's say you're selling uh, this travel mug you're mentioning. So you put just like a travel mug and then in the, in the search field of Amazon, 
And then with this tool, like if you put travel mug, you're gonna get like a drop down menu with the suggestions of the keywords that can come before this word and after this keyword. So sometimes it's really good to combine the results you get from the tool and AMZ. Uh, you're not gonna get search volume information or any numbers, but you're gonna often get some really, really good uh, keyword ideas that way. And it, so you said the name was AMZ? Yeah, I'm gonna type it here. Yeah, AMZ great. suggestion expander. Expander. Great. Very good. Um, that's great insight. Um, there's another one called Merchant Words. Do you, Merchant Words. Yeah. Do you use yeah, also but it, No, we stopped using that uh, like two years ago. It was just not that good. Merchant Words was fine, but Helium 10 is just much better. Okay. And like Jungle Scout, like it seems that a lot of people were talking about Jungle Scouts and Jungle Scout. And now it's like everybody's talking about Helium 10 more you know why because first of all like we used to use jungle scout in the beginning also about like a year and a half ago we stopped using it first of all because it's crazy expensive it's like 300 three four hundred bucks per month you know, just to find your competitors so see how much their the revenue and whatever not but now helium 10 has like really stepped up their game and you can totally see that when doing the reverse asin if you put like the ASIN you want to look up or even your ASIN, when you click on get competitors, you really get some really, really good competitors. Like we check that every time on Amazon to see if the competitors from Killing Time are good enough and they are. So you don't actually have to spend money on Jungle Scout and Jungle Scout was never actually for keywords. It was more for competitor lookup and to check up, uh, check uh, their revenue and their sales. So, and I also, I don't know a lot of people who are still using uh, Jungle Scout. Yeah. Okay. I know they've developed also tools which are much more developed to get more insight into other account sales. Uh, yeah, so you maybe have they're so many reinventing themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also had um, uh, this, you know, the reinventing themselves. They have like uh, 15 different tools. They have like this really cool tool about uh, marketplace research. That's really cool to see like how well your product will do on French marketplace, for instance, they have so many amazing tools. So I think that they're like, seriously, like number one tool, like there is not, no, not nobody else as Helium 10, at least from my experience and from sellers we've been talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is not a paid commercial. It's really what I think. Yeah. We'll, we'll investigate on that. Um, <laughs> Where's your where's your paid link? Um, so anyway, Yana, great to have you here. I think we've we're really we we tried to keep it in forty five minutes. We never achieve it. So that's like how it is. It's like because it's great to have you and it's a lot of fun. Um, I hope we can be will be able to meet soon on a, on a real conference with real people and without masks. But it sounds like it's going to go on a bit. So we'll be patient. Um, Thank you again. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who joined. And yeah, we'll, we'll see you around and we'll follow you on, on Facebook for sure. So thank, thank you, you very so much, much, Jenna. Thank Have you. Have a great evening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.